It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. we got a big hour coming your way. Eric Prince uh, is here, former U.S. Navy SEAL officer, founder of the private military company Blackwater USA, uh, and now called uh, Academy. Uh, Prince is head of the private equity firm Frontier Resource Group. And if you want to know what's going on in Afghanistan, why our conflicts are not ending the way we want them, go to Eric Prince. He'll be with us in studio. Admiral James Stavridis, former uh, Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Uh, His book, a novel about the next war with China, is so real, is so authentic. People are looking at it as a handbook, how to take on our now number one nemesis in the world. So let's get to our big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It was really tough for a few days there. I actually wasn't feeling very well. Mm. And I realized it was because of what was happening in Kabul. And I was just so low about uh, the way it had ended. Join the club, but he's a little different. That's Robert Gates, former CIA director, former Secretary of Defense for Obama and Bush, on 60 Minutes, that's an excerpt, and that's about Afghanistan. Getting worth the terrorist Taliban demand we unfreeze their money. Send them aid while refusing to denounce al-Qaeda. As Bob Gates, the most expert secretary living, eviscerates the president's horrific exit from that country. Number two. We're down to 66 million, still unacceptably high number of unvaccinated people from almost 100 million in July. Vaccination requirements should not be another issue that divides us. Yeah, but it is. Mandate mania. Can someone tell this administration that Delta variant's dying, cases are receding, his mass vax demands are causing massive firings and fueling the hate and resentment across the country? An easy fix this administration wants no part of. Number one. To say it's a high-class problem, rich people can take care of higher prices, but working families can't. And they're, we're seeing this now for months the supply chain problem is going to make it worse. What little money they have left, they're going to have a difficult time buying Christmas gifts for their kids. It's a disaster. Dave, David McIntosh, president of the Club for Growth, commenting on a very controversial tweet, in my view. High-class problems. That's how President Biden's chief of staff feels about the bare shelves, high inflation, and a clogged supply line. How clueless can what administration be to the station of life in this crisis and for the American people? I could not be concerned, more concerned about the brain trust in charge of the White House. And here's why. And I'll bring you to this. So if you want to, outside the pandemic, I have not seen any one thing that could happen that everyone experiences more than inflation. Everything you buy, tires, gas, eggs, meat, uh, used cars, everything that you buy, you go out to eat, it's going to cost a lot more. When you go to get gas, it's 40% more. I mean, I'll, I'll give you some stats now just to back it up. So gas, gas prices were 327 a gallon. Uh, one year now is three twenty-seven a gallon. It's up five fifty-five here in New York City. It's uh, it was two dollars and eighteen cents a year ago. Truck rentals are up forty-two percent. Gas is up forty-three percent, as I mentioned. Hotels up nineteen percent. Steak up twenty percent. Eggs up twelve percent. Milk up three percent. So the one thing I thought we could agree on is that all of us are paying more, but yet 
a Harvard professor, and if you go into the Ivy League, he's got to be smart, right? Uh, this guy is um, his. Uh, he was worked with President Obama. He is, uh, you know him, Jason Furman. And Jason Furman worked for President Obama as one of his economic advisors, and he tweeted this out. Most of the problems we're facing, inflation, supply chains, are high-class problems. We wouldn't have had them if unemployment rate was still 10%. We would have instead had a much worse problem. I'm thinking to myself, now there's a tweet I know nothing about that makes absolutely no sense that I will choose to ignore, but not Ron Klain. He's the chairman of the Joint Seats of Staff, and he gave, uh, he gave it a retweet and fully endorsed it. And people thought to themselves, is this guy clueless? High-class problem? This is an every-class problem. High-class might be able to absorb it more, but if you want to ask me, practical sense says, no Ph.D. in economics, that you would think that we could all agree that the working class and the middle class would feel this more than the so-called high class. David McIntosh, president of Club for Growth, cut three. It's totally wrong. It's an example of how out of touch the Biden administration is Americans across the country are paying 40% more for gas. If you drive an hour and a half to work back and forth each day, that's a huge hit to your family budget. To say it's a high-class problem, rich people can take care of higher prices, but working families can't. And we're seeing this now for months. The supply chain problem is going to make it worse. What little money they have left, they're going to have a difficult time buying Christmas gifts for their kids. It's a disaster. So Senator Chris Murphy tweets this out. Uh, In an economy that gives power to workers, not just employers, people quit their jobs all the time to get better jobs. Oh, really? I was wondering why 2% of the workforce quit, because they all had better jobs? Because they don't seem to have entered the workplace, because it was at 63% employment uh, in terms of the workforce. Now 61% of the employment uh, of the workforce is working. Uh, Economic mobility is a good thing, not a bad thing. So the Democrats want you to change the reality in which you're living. To me, they are clueless, and they think they can plow their way through this reality and change our minds when we have trouble making the rent, when we walk out with less groceries that cost more on a daily basis, when we walk away from going out to eat. Here is Stephen Hayes, Cut 5. The Biden administration seems to be sort of shrugging off this idea of inflation or or labeling it as transitory and at the same time arguing again and again and again that we need to throw trillions of dollars at those problems and others uh, on infrastructure. You're seeing an increased skepticism among the American people for bigger government, for more government spending. Uh, that, I think, flows some from the, the uh, in- enthusiasm for government to step in in the coronavirus pandemic, and that's waning now. But it's also because of proposals like this, and the White House isn't making much problem uh, turning public opinion in its favor. I think we all agree. But I will say that uh, this guy just hopped on with Bill Hammer, Jason Furman, to explain that tweet that was gotten a lot of attention because it was retweeted by the chief of staff, who many people counted on to be the voice of reason with a president who clearly has lost his fastball. And it's actually, I'll leave it at that. I'm not a doctor, but it's not going well. How about that? The decisions he's making that he should be doing in a consensus way. Uh, are awful. So the people he surrounded him with, himself with might be experienced, but it seems to be the wrong kind of experience when it comes to the supply chain, when it comes to Afghanistan, when it comes to trying to jam $3.5 trillion in pure agenda spending down our throats, even though inflation's raising, uh, raging and we have $28 trillion worth of debt. 
crazy spending when we've already put $5.7 trillion into our economy because of this pandemic, it, to me, is insane. But I'll talk about that later. Finally, mandate mania. If you thought of, if there was one thing that President Biden could do to divide us further, he did it with this mandate mania. You might think our country would be better off if everyone got a vaccine. Perhaps you're right. But I know it's not going to happen. You can't get 330 million people to do anything. But it's pretty staggering to think that 64 percent of us are fully vaccinated and between 70 and 75 percent are partially vaccinated at this point. We have a variant that has dropped 26 percent in cases in 36 states. It is going down. So this is good news, but not to President Biden, in my view, because he knows he gets highest marks on his handling of the pandemic, which I think people will sober up to understand he shouldn't. More deaths during his year than the Trump year. But let's not digress. Even though he was given a vaccine before he even entered office, Joe Biden yesterday in his six minute, I'll take no questions. Thank you. Address. Cut 13. We're down to 66 million, still unacceptably high number of unvaccinated people from almost 100 million in July. Vaccination requirements should not be another issue that divides us. That's why we continue to battle the misinformation that's out there. And companies and communities are setting up there, stepping up as well to combat these, the, the misinformation. So the president's demanding more. Now he wants OSHA to set workplace standards for the private sector for companies with over 100 people to demand to demand vaccinations. So I don't care where you stand on vaccines. That's not the question. I'm just going to look at the country for a second, which the president should be doing. Uh, I think 30 percent of the TSA is not vaccinated, maybe more. I will tell you right now, if these uh, these airlines If it's even 90 percent, that means 10 percent of the workforce is going to be told you're fired or you're suspended. We already know that 38,000 medical workers in New York City, when this mandate went into effect, got fired. And get this, cannot collect unemployment because they didn't want to get vaccinated. I guarantee you almost all of them have natural immunity because they've been exposed to this virus when we needed it most. Same thing with teachers. Soon we're going to get hospice workers. And now more and more cities are going to do it. The president thinks he's helping. On what planet do you think he is on? Governor Ron DeSantis, the antithesis of what Joe Biden would be as a leader, shows it again. Cut 13. We are going to contest that immediately. We think the state of Florida has standing to do it. And we also know businesses that we're going to work with to contest it. Let's not have Biden come in uh, and effectively take away, threaten to take away the jobs of people who have been working hard throughout this entire pandemic. I just I am offended that like a police officer could potentially lose their job. I just think it's fundamentally wrong to be taking people's jobs away, particularly uh, given the situations that we see ourselves facing with the economy. Governor Ron DeSantis. So when we come back, what about China? What about their staged land uh, invasion going through some military drills that look like how they would invade Taiwan? What should that island nation be thinking and what should we do? Admiral James Chavridis next. Then Eric Prince. What went wrong in Afghanistan? What was he offering to do? How many people are actually left behind? You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Not likely in the near term, but 24, 25, I think, yes, the risk of war will be high. And we have got to put military capacity into this region in an urgent way. we got to get past the rhetoric and get that capability into the region. That's what uh, President Xi's generals are paying attention to, not words. And... Taiwan has to upgun themselves, so does Japan, and so does Australia. That has to be done with a sense of urgency because that is how we prevent a war. And that's how you stop China from acting. That was General Jackine one hour ago on Fox & Friends. Now it's time for Admiral James Jarvidis, our privilege to have the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Uh, His book, bestseller, 2034, a novel of the next world war, really breaks down what would happen if we take on China. Uh, Admiral... Do you believe that that staged invasion on a beach was another serious brushback pitch to Taiwan that maybe an invasion is imminent? It depends on what you mean by imminent. It certainly was a signal to the Taiwanese. And I'm with uh, Jack Keane, as I usually am. I think the hour of maximum danger is probably three to five years from now, Brian. But by the way, I'll, I'll disagree with Jack on one point. He said President Xi's generals are focused on this. Believe me, it's President Xi's admirals, because this is going to be a maritime fight. And as we go through in the book, uh, 2034, it's going to start at sea in the South China Sea. That's an amphibious assault that is designed to come from the sea. And it's going to be an air fight as we see the rising numbers of Chinese jets flying into the Taiwanese. So it is a signal. And the storm clouds of war are gathering. We better pay attention. Don't they have their own economic problems to worry about? Uh, <laughs> when you think that they would say this Taiwan's no threat to them. Their existence might be a threat, but there's no threat to them. Why wouldn't they just focus inward after this pandemic? Um, They are going to focus inward. But, Brian, you put your finger on something very important, which is that 
as President G has to deal with the challenges internally, the economic challenges, for example, coming from their overheated uh, property markets, their kind of 2008, 2009 experience like we had here is coming. So what happens when an authoritarian figure has challenges at home? To explain it, he tends to look for uh, challenges overseas. He looks for dragons to slay. Taiwan looks pretty tempting in that regard, and that's uh, a dynamic we need to be concerned about, especially post-Olympics and post-next fall, which is the next turn in the party Congress. After that is when the heat is going to get turned up on Taiwan, I if, if I remember correctly, that's what Russia did. They waited for their Olympics to be over, yep. and then they staged an invasion uh, because they knew the world wouldn't be watching and the world wouldn't show up if they did something belligerent. So let me ask you, this is a broad question. Does China remember how to fight? They haven't had any conflict since the late 70s. They haven't been in a war, to their credit, no one takes credit, but they, do they remember how to fight? I think they train hard. Uh, I've seen all the intelligence about the work that they do uh, with their fleet, with their aircraft. But, you know, Brian, it's different when you hit real combat and you're watching your uh, shipmates uh, blow up alongside you on a ship or you're watching uh, people get gunned down, as, as we did in Afghanistan. Look, the U.S. military we say in the trade, is a blooded army. We have been in combat for 20 years. Uh, and it's not just the army. It's the Navy, the Marines, the SEALs, all of us. So, yeah, I'd score that as a point for the U.S. if, God forbid, we end up in a war. Um, how much further would you go with Taiwan? Because they need missile defense, correct? But if you get too aggressive, that might be that might be a provocation that we might be responsible for should a conflict happen. So do we know the line? I think we are uh, kind of dialing in to the, the line, and you got to put it in two tracks. And what I mean by that is I think it's a good move that we have U.S. Marines and special forces on the island conducting training. Um, it's a good move that we sell advanced missile defense and advanced offensive systems, as in uh, naval strike missiles that can go against targets at sea or uh, handheld air defense that are light and mobile. I think uh, that kind of military technology helps create deterrence, as Jack Keane was saying. On the other hand, Brian, you have to keep the diplomacy side of this thing going. You have to have a summit. You have to uh, participate in the dialogue. Right. Uh, you've got to try and manage the trade and tariff disagreement. So it's kind of a two-track approach. I think we know where that line is. We need to do all we can for Taiwan, but stay inside the line that creates a war. So if you want to get Iran's attention, you, you, uh, tell, you start arming Saudi Arabia. If you want to get China's attention, you start loosening up the reins on Japan, correct? What, what would we be willing to do there? Um, the next really obvious thing is subsurface. It's submarines. So if we're going to share nuclear power technology. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
with Australia to give them nuclear submarines, I think both Japan and India would be candidates for that. Now, there are big internal debates in both those countries about that. But for example, increasing, as Jack Keane said, upgunning Japan, uh, a way to do that is to move them toward nuclear submarines, which are far more capable than the diesel ones they operate. That's but one example. And yes, uh, Japan and Australia will be key, and we hope to pull India in our direction as well. I think that China's actions help us uh, sell that cause. Uh, Even if Europe's not listening, I think the nations in the region do, the so-called Quad. Very uh, much. Very, yeah. very much so. Even though it's a novel, it's read as a handbook for winning the next World War, 2034, a novel of the next World War by, uh, by Admiral James Stavridis. Uh, Admiral, always great to talk to you. Great talking to you, Brian. Have a great weekend. You got it. When we come back, what about what Secretary Gates said was correct? Eric Prince has been on the ground in Afghanistan for years, fought for our country privately and professionally. He'll be with us to talk about Gates' comments and what he sees on the ground and how many are actually left behind in that country. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It was really tough. For a few days there, I actually wasn't feeling very well. And I realized it was because of what was happening in Kabul. And I was just so low uh, about uh, the way it had ended, if you will. And and I guess the other the other feeling that I had was that it probably did not need to have turned out that way. No kidding. But he did predict it. Secretary of Defense Gates for Bush, as well as President Obama, was asked to stay on. He was former CIA director, did just about everything for presidents dating all the way back to Reagan. And now that he's retired, he looks back at one of the, his legacy items, and that is Afghanistan. And it was one of the biggest embarrassments in the history of the U.S. and hopefully the worst. And it doesn't get worse from here. Eric Prince knows what it's like on the ground. He's helping getting people out every minute of every day. Former U.S. Navy SEAL officer, founder of the private uh, company Blackwater, now uh, Academy. Uh, Welcome back, Eric. Thanks, Brian. Did I say that right, Academy? Yeah, I sold that business 11 years ago. I have nothing to do with it. Okay, you're done with that. Okay. So, uh, Eric, first off, your reaction to Secretary of Defense Gates. Uh, It's right. It's a a disaster. I think I heard... um, I heard a Canadian actually describe the situation the best. He said, it's the self-immolation of American credibility. It's like we sat there and we just set ourselves on fire and burned ourselves to the rest of the world. Every ally sees that and every enemy sees that, that we cut away and left Afghan friends behind. Uh, and they see, you know, the, it is essential that American deterrence exists because um, our entire economy is based on it, right? We, we, the, the dollar is the world's reserve currency because it's, it's underpinned by this uh, mirage of American military supremacy. And when we go and do stupid things like happened in Afghanistan, it shreds that notion. What do you think mirage? You really believe mar- mirage? Well— the way we the, left is bad, but you wouldn't think it's a mirage, our strength, do you? We have some amazing capability, but capability is not, not it clearly does not uh, equate to war-ending capability because in the end we were defeated by guys that were using 70-year-old weapons, or 70, weapons designed in the 1940s. The Taliban did not have 
F-35s and F-15s and satellite imagery. And and they didn't even have the surface-to-air missiles that we had given the, the Mohajuddin back in the 80s to fight the Soviets. The United States military, with all its techno grandeur, was defeated by goat herders. And that's disgusting. And it comes down to the leadership of the military that never effectively used the resources that were given them. And over 20 years, they did the same loop, and they never, ever uh, envisioned or explored different ways of fighting and finishing that war. I know what you pitched. You pitched it. Let, let me just handle it. Uh, you said, let me handle it. Give me a handful of guys, to support guys. You, your group wanted to handle it. And President Trump was really thinking about it. All I recommended is going back to what worked in the first place. Because remember, after 9-11, right, when this Pentagon was still smoldering, the best the Pentagon came with, the most expensive military in the world, they wanted to do missiles, bombs, and they wanted to do. They wanted to wait six months until April of 2002 to do a conventional invasion of Afghanistan via Pakistan with a mechanized unit. That's what they came with. It was the agency that said, unconventional war, give us some money, 100 special operators and agency officers backed by air power, and they smashed the Taliban within weeks. That worked. All I recommended is going back to that model as a stay-behind capacity in the country to keep the Taliban at bay. Never wanted. After, you know, early on, absolutely. said, hey, let's give these people a shot. Let's give them chance of representative government. We got out of that. I think that was pretty clear. For people to say, well, we're doing nation building. Well, we were for a few years. But after that, it was, let's give them a chance to get them started themselves. And then it was, let's stop the terror. If you just explain to the American people, listen, we're going to keep some bases here. We've got seven bases. We're going to keep the, these bases. It's important for us to understand what our terror, these terrorists are doing, and we're going to be able to act. And guess what? Having a base in between China and Iran and Pakistan, not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. And and what I what I recommended to Trump and even to the Biden administration cost less than five percent uh, of uh, of what they had been spending. And I saw it just uh, three weeks ago. Congress authorized six and a half billion dollars for Afghan refugee resettlement. If they had spent that right, I I could have kept the Taliban at bay for three years and kept the lights on in Afghanistan without the thing going to going to hell the way it did. Here's what else what else Gates said about the evacuation. Cut twenty. Certainly the military considers the withdrawal the most dangerous uh, part of an operation, but but they really had a You're lot hearing? of time to plan, uh, beginning with the deal that President Trump cut uh, with the Taliban. Uh, so that was in February of 2020. Once President Biden reaffirmed that there was going to be a firm deadline date, that's the point at which I think they should have begun bringing those people out. The, the the idea of bringing people out, holding on to that date of uh, September 11th, then August 25th, uh, obviously folly. We were always told that from day one. You never set up a day that you're going to leave. And I abandoning, uh, handing over Bagram with all the prisoners in the in Bagram Air Base. They, they left like a bad one night stand. I mean, literally, the U.S. forces pulled out of there. Didn't even tell the Afghans that were supposed to be guarding the base. The Afghans didn't figure it out until the generators ran out of fuel and the place went dark. And then looters rolled in and uh, all across Bagram. So it's, it's been a disaster upon disaster. It's, of course, it's a political decision by Biden and his White House team, but even the senior officers that carried out a, a really bad plan. The fact is we got out of there. We, we were lucky. Terrible that 13 um, uh, Marines uh, died. 20 wounded. And 20 wounded, grievously. But it could have been so much worse because we literally withdrew to the – 
very indefensible position of, of uh, Kabul airport, surrounded by mountains, three guys with a mortar tube could have made that airport unusable. And so it, it could have looked more like the British retreat from Afghanistan in 1845, where they lost 16,000 people in a week. Uh, that's what I was worried about. We were we were very, very lucky in that sense. So we, we're finding out more and more that the generals were not for this. Pretty clear, McKenzie and Milley and uh, Secretary of Defense Austin, they asked, what did you recommend? And none of, none of them recommended this. And President Trump, uh, Biden said something totally different. Does it blow you away, Eric, or are you that cynical at this point, that he seems to be getting away with the fact that he told us the Taliban would not, it's not inevitable, they would take over. He, he said for the longest time this was going to be uh, going totally different than it actually went. And that he con- he's continues to determine his success, and he seems to be getting away with it. Because the big corporate media has effectively become a propaganda arm of one party. And you can't – when you don't have a media that's holding um, institutions accountable, then you have – they're effectively behaving like TASS did in the Soviet Union or Izvestia. I mean, literally state-run doing exactly what uh, – or, or for that matter, what, what the China World Daily does. They do exactly what Beijing tells them to do. So it's uh, it's wrong, and that's uh, that is a definite uh, dislocation in our society that has to be f- fixed. Well, I mean, it's just uh, you know, I do I think do you think it was a mistake for the president to start talk President Trump to start talks with Taliban to begin with? Look, at that point, the Taliban were uh, there was a lot of them on the edge that we could have made a decent deal with because there is a split between the Kandaharis, uh, the Kandahari tar- Taliban, and the ones that were directly run by the ISI and the Haqqanis. The Intelligence Network for Pakistan. Correct. Uh, There could have been a split. But again, if you if you put them on their knees and you if we hammered them the way like we did in the first two months after 9-11 and 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 literally made them fear for their lives again, there would have been a a very different deal cut that they would have lived with because they would have been afraid. The problem is they felt the hot breath of an angry U.S. military in the U.S. Special Operations community the first six months after 9-11. And the last 19 and a half years, they just had bad breath. Okay, there was, there was, there are so many articles uh, of, of interviews of Taliban saying, we can't believe you just stopped fighting us. Okay, I even talked to, to JSOC guys that were on the ground and the Taliban were shocked. They were literally scared to see these JSOC guys. And they say, we can't believe you've just given up like this. Shocked. So again, they weren't popular with the people of Afghanistan. We didn't throw over a popular no, government. This was, they, they, this they was not the Taliban. Are, the, correct. It is, it, it, here's the, and here's the thing. If we had any doubt that Pakistan was our enemy in all this, right, what happened right after the fall of Kabul, within three weeks, the Taliban, so the Pakistan flew 20 of their military helicopters into the Panjshir Valley carrying an entire battalion of Pakistani special forces to attack Ahmed Massoud okay, His, uh, yeah. and Amarullah Saleh, the actual legitimate president of Afghanistan because Ghani uh, ran away with his money. Okay. But the guys that are holed up in Panjshir Valley that are still fighting for freedom that right choose now? that right now that choose not to live under the, a, an, a Taliban Islamic fascist state, uh, the Pakistanis sent their troops to attack them. Okay. So if this idea that we're going to do over the horizon targeting for counterterrorism, all the rest, no way. Pakistan has, um, has us by the neck on that one, and and so the, the U.S. is is it, its options are very, very limited. But the fact that we're not even doing humanitarian support for the thousands of Afghan commandos and the and other veterans that fled to the Panjshir Valley 
for protection and freedom that we're not that, that the State Department is actively blocking any supply going to them is just unconscionable. How many P- Americans are left in there? How many American allies are left in there? A uh, couple hundred Americans, thousands of Afghans. That you think are worthy of being evacuated? There are people contacting us on a daily basis, thousands of people that are in the SIV process waiting to hear back, couldn't get to the airport. Look, the administration wants to say they they extracted 100,000 people. No, <laughs> our partner nations extracted 60,000. Okay, the U.S. did about 40 on, on, on U.S. aircraft. But thousands, tens of thousands of those are people that just flooded the airfield right when they crashed the gates uh, before the U.S. military got there in a big way. Um, and so those are the ones that are showing up at all these refugee facilities in the United States with no vetting, with actually no background or nexus to actually having helped America. Right. They shoot their retinas and they come up with nothing when they start uh, start looking Correct. at who they are. So we continue to talk. Number one, we should – you're right now you're helping to evacuate. Yes. So – and are there people? There are ways for people to reach out. Has the State Department helped you at all? No. Are they interested in these people at all? I think the administration is just actively looking to put this whole thing behind them, and politically, they just want to move past it. They realize it was such a disaster, and so they're doing the de minimis, um, giving it lip service at best, uh, just trying to get past it. So I talked to General Keene about an hour ago about what's happening now. We're still talking to them. Because they want their money unfrozen, and they want aid because people are starving to death. They have no infrastructure. Now they got to run a country, and we left. Here's what he said is going on. Cut 25. The Taliban are doing exactly what they said they would do. They're running a monolithic government where the ideology is theirs, and they're not sharing power with anybody in Afghanistan. Women have no role in their society of yep. any, any consequence, and they're already executing that. And they're running down everybody who's still in the country that has had a previous association with us or our allies. They certainly are not rejecting the al-Qaeda. If anything, they're certainly supporting the al-Qaeda, and they will grow and become a threat once again to the United States. That's how sad this really is. Would you characterize it the same way? Absolutely. And this idea that there's an actual break between um, the Taliban, al-Qaeda, and ISIS— it's all one continuum of force, but they're all kind of on the same team. It's almost like describing uh, the IRA as being different from Sinn Féin. There's a political front, and there's a military front. And, and that's exactly, look, we've been played by the PACs for the last 20 years. Um, the Pakistanis were actively supporting by the ISI, uh, Haqqanis, and uh, much of the Taliban leadership. Heck, they were, they were literally hosting him. I find it amazing that the media missed all these highly wanted al-Qaeda figures um, suddenly reappeared from, from Pakistan. Like the new interior minister of, of the Taliban, Siraj Haqqani, is literally on the U.S. kill list. There's a 5 or $10 million bounty on that guy. So I'm wondering is if, <laughs> if we go get him, would the State Department pay? Is he still considered a terrorist or is he their new government ally? Yeah, why don't you go cash in, Eric? If you don't mind taking him out, that would be great. Eric Prince is here. He's going to uh, stay with us for another segment, one 866 You heard him. Uh, there are still Americans and our allies that have helped us out that need to get out of Afghanistan. We cannot take our eye off the ball. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Nobody wanted this outcome, Brian, that, that's for sure, to include this administration certainly want this outcome, but they put in place the conditions that got us this outcome, and therefore they deserve the accountability that they're certainly getting and will continue to get as a result of their strategic failure. And I think for the longest time, Afghanistan, well, the American people are tired of that war. Uh, the way we left that war has been American people just besides themselves with embarrassment, not just Secretary of Defense Gates and not just uh, retired four-star General Jack Keane. Uh, Eric Prince, you just mentioned me in the break. There's still no one been held accountable. Not one. Not an Afghan official for all the corruption, right? When you fire hose cash on there for 20 years uh, and, and, and it just fertilizes all this corruption endemic in the society there, not one Afghan general or politi- politician has been prosecuted. And certainly not any of these generals. All the commanders have high-paying board seats. Um, They write books. They teach leadership, all the rest. They led a failed effort. If we had – if there was a a football team, we had 19 years of of continuing losses. And, and, you know, you should encourage people to go back and read all these flowery testimonies when they come before Congress. Ah, success. We've had a great year. You know, Nirvana is just around the corner. And it's all nonsense because it's just not true. And you mentioned that all these generals were telling us that the Taliban was not in danger of taking over any time soon of that country. And it was impossible to know that. Would you believe that it was very possible to know how quick this thing was going to fall apart? I told the ambassadors I know in the area, I told them this back in April. I said the Taliban will raise their flag over the U.S. Embassy before Labor Day. Okay? Because— as soon as the only thing that was keeping the Taliban in check was airstrikes. And we stopped. And we stopped that in June, which allowed the Taliban to go from massing 100 guys to massing 5,000 guys. And that's enough to take over cities. I mean, they're using, they're rolling up all this U.S. equipment as they go, including artillery and, um, you know, artillery versus guys with machine guns. It's pretty obvious who's going to win that. Talk about accountability. That's what Lieutenant Colonel Scheller wanted to find out. He went ahead and put a few postings up. He was warned not to. They ended up throwing him in solitary confinement. Today, he finds out if he gets to what kind of sanctions he's going to get and if he gets an honorable discharge or maybe they suck uh, his uh, salary down for a year. I want you to hear a little of his rant. And I'm not saying we've got to be in, the, in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying... Did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. Nothing wrong with that. You understand what he did. Absolutely. I, what, a, what a breath of fresh air, someone stepping up and demanding accountability. Congress needs to demand accountability. Uh, Congress promotes all these generals, okay? Um, and and, and, the, and the, the Pentagon has created its own self-licking ice cream cone of the flag officers that reinforce the same failed paradigm. We do not have any patents left in the military, and Lord knows we need it because, again, like I said earlier, right. when, when our deterrence is lost and enemies know they can gnaw away at the periphery of America, I mean, what, what big things or small things, whether it's uh, Taiwan and, and China flying— dozens of jets over Taiwan airspace 
on an almost daily basis, unacceptable. The other undercovered story is that there's been almost 200 Americans working abroad been seriously damaged brain injury from directed energy weapons, and they're getting away with it. Right. Eric Prince, thanks so much. So glad you're here. So glad you're still helping out. At least somebody is. Eric Prince, thank you. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Got a big hour coming your way. Geraldo Rivera will be here shortly. I think he's in the building. Uh, and once he gets through security, it's just a matter of him showing up on time. And then Shannon Bream at the bottom of the hour. In a few hours, she'll be on with her own show. Actually, it starts at midnight. She's also best-selling author, The Women of the Bible, as they speak. And we have a lot to discuss today, this hour. And we'll see what breaks uh, during this hour. One thing we do, one of our sponsors... Uh, is life back. And I've known Arthur Lee forever, and he came up with this great idea how to save people's lives. So everyone does the Heimlich when you're choking, and it's the number one, one of the top causes, sadly, of children's deaths. And if the Heimlich doesn't work, especially on a small child, sadly, the person usually dies unless they're near a hospital. So he invented something that's called life back. You got to check it out. And they've put up, they've saved so many lives. It's now around the world in so many fire departments and schools. There's another success story that we just got through the other day, September 21st, so I, we just got it. John and Jane Kohler were uh, at a, uh, up a, at Eggs Up Grill, uh, and when their son, Gabriel, began severely choking, seconds passed, and then they realized this child was dying. A room full of people all stopped. They're focused no longer on their food. Everyone tried to help. Then a nurse, a CPR instructor, all tried to help, but nothing happened. Had it not been for this major Hillard, who with that simple device, the life vac, he was able to put it over the baby's uh, face. Gabriel's parents saw it, put it down. All you do is place, push, and pull, and that child's life was saved. It's on Facebook, so check it out. Life vac, V-A-C. I just don't understand if you have kids or seniors having trouble swallowing or if you just don't have it in your house, how it's not as commonplace as a fire extinguisher. Uh, and we're proud to have him as a sponsor. Another success story. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think the president has still been working behind the scenes with that one goal in mind, which is getting Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kirsten Sinema on board so they can make progress. But we know that there's still no consensus among Democrats over what this should look like. Yeah, we got details on this. Not on board. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema dig in and hold on as the administration's ill-timed, ill-conceived, multi-trillion-dollar spending uh, palooza is set to be queued up and passed. But they won't go along as Bob Gates weighs in on another Biden agenda item: the the, the dismount from Afghanistan, a true disaster. Number two. We're down to 66 million, still unacceptably high number of unvaccinated people from almost 100 million in July. Vaccination requirements should not be another issue that divides us. But it is by because there's mandates. Can someone please tell this administration the Delta variant is dying, cases are receding, his mass vax demands are causing massive firings and fueling the hate and resentment across the country. An easy fix would be to back off. Number one. To say it's a high-class problem, rich people can take care of higher prices. 
but working families can't. And we're seeing this now for months. The supply chain problem's gonna make it worse. What little money they have left, they're gonna have a difficult time buying Christmas gifts for their kids. It's a disaster. That's Dave McIntosh, president of Glove for Growth, responding to a tweet that said, high-class problems, that's how Biden's chief of staff feels about the bare shelves, high inflation, and clogged supply lines. It's unbelievable. How clueless can one administration be in times of crisis? I cannot be more concerned about the brain trust in charge of this White House. And that was uh, some of the focus yesterday. Brett Baer came in and said, I can't believe this tweet that just was retreated by uh, Ron Klain. So what is it? And essentially, it was this tweet by Jason Furman, who was a, a, it was a financial advisor to President Obama, and he was still a professor at Harvard. He said, most of the economic problems we're facing, inflation, supply chains, are high-class problems. We wouldn't have had them if the unemployment rate was still 10%. We would instead have a much worse problem. Retreated by Ron Klain. And again, people are raising their eyebrows saying, are you kidding me? What is high-class about milk, eggs? Tires and gas. What is what is high class about that? That's every class. If anything outside the pandemic grounds every American to a mutual experience, it's inflation. How you absorb it is how is your status in life. But how you experience it, that's called universal, I thought. Geraldo, do you think I'm right? Uh, well, I usually think you're right, unless you're not right. In terms of Ron Klain, it seems... Uh, it seems wildly insensitive is what it does. Uh, you know, uh, we're fortunate enough in life that uh, we generally experience inflation only at the at the gas pump. Uh, but a lot of folks, they go into a supermarket and they want to get a gallon of milk. And they, you know, they got to make sure they have enough money in their pocket. It's just, it's there's a, you, what you can't have, and I think the Democrats really suffer from this more than Republicans, although it's ironic. You mentioned the Harvard professor. There is an elite in the progressive side of American life uh, that doesn't feel uh, the, the pain of people that can theorize and, and generalize. And uh, I think this is an, an instant. Right now, uh, President Biden has his hands full. It seems to me that right. his agenda is falling apart. Uh, he, he, hasn't, he hasn't achieved really anything other than the initial uh, you know, funding. Yeah, it went everywhere. Um, I, I, uh, I worry right now that the administration has lost focus. It's going to become very defensive, and it's going to have intellectuals like the guy you described in, at Harvard uh, uh, telling people that they don't really feel the pain they feel. So you just said it, feel the pain. What happened to the Democratic mindset was, I feel your pain. I can relate to you. I grew up with a single parent, uh, adverse conditions. That was the Bill Clinton line, and it worked. He felt their pain. Joe Biden's ignoring the pain, ignoring the downside of, the, of all the vax mandates, too. So Jason Furman is the guy that was retreated by Ron Klain. He just hopped on with Bill Hemmer uh, from his Harvard studio, I imagine. Here's how he further explained what he tried to say in a tweet. Cut 39. Inflation is real. Inflation is creating a problem for families. We should do something about it. Number two, the reason we have this inflation is actually a good reason, that the unemployment rate has come down, that families got money, and people are buying more things than ever before. The problem isn't that our ports stopped working. It's that people are buying so much stuff that so much is trying to come through our ports right now. We have record volumes. You know, that's both has a good side, a bad side. As, what is he talking about? We can't get stuff you know, unloaded. We have no truck drivers. We have no cranes. 
Well, I, I'll, 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 I'll re, I will repeat my idea for uh, increasing vastly the number of truck drivers we have. But you know what that guy reminded me of? The first president I really uh, got, not close to, but who invited me to the White House, who, uh, you know, a couple of times and, uh, and spoke to me a few times, it was Jimmy Carter. Uh, the nicest guy and the wonderful, wonderful man, and he's been a wonderful uh, ex-president. Uh, but Jimmy Carter, as you know, the four-year term progressed, we watched inflation. First of all, hit double digits, which was shocking, and then the, in the in the teens, and then to 20 percent. So, in other words, you had to pay five dollars for what used to cost four dollars, and and. To see this nice man, Jimmy Carter, to see him flounder and to see his presidency become ineffective and to, and to see him be disparaged uh, was all a function of the inflation that that Harvard professor just poo-pooed as a, as a symptom of vitality. It's, it's not. It's, it's unbelievable. It's a, it's a symptom of a, a, of a system that is broken uh, or at least it's uh, on the verge of breaking. And it's, it's amazing to me, and I know they're not looking for public approval on it, but if you're, if you're in the middle of an inflationary cycle and you can't get goods into shore and you're worried about the holidays and deliveries, I would think one of the last things that you get an economic okay from would be massive spending, $3.5 trillion. And it looks like they're, if they had their druthers, they'd have it done already on a simple reconciliation way, Geraldo, as you know. But there are two centers that aren't moving, and it's Mansion and Cinema. And guess what? A week later, they're still not moving. Cinema is digging in, saying, "I feel like you let me down. You promised you'd pass the, bi- uh, the bipartisan bill. You didn't even put it up for a vote." And also, Senator Manchin says, "I don't like all this green stuff. It'll destroy the economy. We're in the middle of a gas and oil shortage. This is not the time to make all these put these mandates in." Here's Caitlin Collins bringing us inside the uh, inside the game. Cut twenty-eight. I think that the White House thinks right now keeping this as a behind-the-scenes negotiation largely is what's going to benefit them. But I do think that their their own patience is wearing thin when it comes to whether or not any progress is being made with this, because what we are hearing from White House officials publicly in recent days is that it's time to make tough choices about what's actually going to be in this bill, because we know that there is still no agreement on a top line number even, which seems like just the most basic of agreements of steps forward that they need to make here. But the basic thing is, you know what Manchin said? I'm not signing off on a top number until you tell me what's in it. And that stumped them. What kind of what kind of legislative <laughs> way is this to write legislation? Yeah, it is absurd. Uh, but let me let me just say this m- more generally about the Biden agenda. Biden's got an agenda like FDR had an agenda. It's that vast. It's that it's that involves that much public money. Uh, it's a reordering of uh, American life. It's a uh, it's a, an attempt to take money from rich people and corporations, which theoretically is a good idea. To give to the people at the at the bottom of the of the barrel doesn't work out that way, and we we all know that. But my point is, you can't reorder society when you don't even have a majority in the United States Senate, as you mentioned with Cinema and Mansion. So FDR had 65 senators. I know. Joe Biden has 48. You can't do these vast re reestablishing of the social order. With, without a majority in the House of Representatives or the Senate of the United States. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So what you have is 
the progressive side of, of the Democratic Party, AOC and, and, and the others, uh, so forth. You know, I admire their energy and their spunk. They've taken over the Democratic Party, though. They are, it is their wish list that Biden has adopted, and he's done it, it to also at the peril of losing the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bipartisan bill that he could have gotten. He could have had a, it's crazy. a great accomplishment, but instead the, the progressives are saying, no, you need it all. You need uh, green energy. You need blue skies. You need flowers in every, uh, in every pot. You need uh, you know, minimum wage, 25 an hour. Uh, you know, and it's not going to happen. He's going to be disappointed. That's why his popularity is plummeting. And I feel terrible for him because I like him. He's a nice guy. Uh, you know, I, I relate to him. He's only uh, eight months older than I am. <laughs> so, uh, I, but he's not going to succeed. He's not going to succeed. Not, if I, he can't, if he doesn't have the discipline to get the infrastructure bill through and he keeps it held hostage to this other reordering of the social uh, system, uh, he's going to be he's going to be one of the worst presidents ever. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think you're at the top of your game and I, I just don't think he is. I, for example, I think Bernie Sanders is Bernie Sanders from 20 years ago. He's not the same guy. And unfortunately, a lot of these decisions are his decisions to not go with moderates, to not side with Manchin and Cinema, and make the left wing the bad guys. Instead, he makes Cinema doesn't mind that Cinema is being harassed in toilet stalls and in, at oh, well, marathons. I mean, you got to be kidding yeah, me. Really, what about it? What about a, a sense of chivalry? It's nuts. And what about Mark Kelly, the astronaut? This this woman is in his state, in his party. What about the military man standing up for somebody that he's serving with? She, it's it's okay to hassle her because she doesn't want to sign off on three trillion dollars. What kind of work, you know? What kind of system is this? I would have done some serious ass whooping if I was in that. You would have uh, in that scene. I would not have allowed that to happen. That that goes so. You know what they said in the McCarthy hearings? You have no. Have you no shame? That that's what I said when I saw that. Have you no shame that you follow a lady into the ladies' room? And she goes in the stall, and you're outside her stall. Are you peeking under the stall, too? And then she goes to wash your hands, Ugh. and you're harassing her? I mean, that is so far beyond the pale. Any gentleman, and I hate to be sexist here, but any person, any man who considered himself, uh, uh, that had any self-respect or self-esteem that allowed that scene to play out without intervening, that's why I said no one better ever come to me when I'm at a restaurant and with my family, if someone started harassing me and then started picking at my food and telling me uh, yeah. my politics suck or were you working at Fox or a Nazi, uh, you know, I would I would respond very unfavorably. Let me put it that way. I understood. And watch, check out. In a kinetic, in a kinetic way. I'd, well, there's nobody that should do that, and they better not uh, for their own good. Geraldo Rivera, check out his show on Fox Nation as cops come back, comes back, and you see what they have to deal with on a daily basis. It's uh, wonderfully produced and commentated by Geraldo Rivera. So check out Fox Nation this weekend. Geraldo, thanks so much. Anytime, Brian. Anytime, man. Go get him. Uh, well, listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls for the first time. one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think the president has still been working behind the scenes with that one goal in mind, which is getting Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kirsten Sinema on board so they can make progress. But I think the question of, is it actually making progress, is a big question because Senator Sinema has said they've told the White House what she wants to see in this and what her priorities really are. The White House is not saying what those are publicly, but we know that there's still no consensus among Democrats over what this should look like. Understood. Uh, that is Caitlin Collins of CNN going inside with her sources about the $3.5 trillion and the $1.2 trillion that embarrassingly got stuck in the House two weeks ago, and they cannot get it back together. Brenda's listening on WHIO. I was on there Thursday morning uh, with Larry. Hey, Brenda, welcome back. Hi, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? Um, I just wanted to make the statement that um, I'm a 62-year-old grandmother living in Ohio, rural Ohio, and... Um, I can verifiably say the majority of the American people do not support Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden's agenda for the United States. And it's very, uh, if you want to go the offensive direction, it's very offensive that they would speak for all of us when they do not um, hold the values that we have for our great United States. Uh, you know, I don't even know. I don't even recognize this president's agenda. It's AOC's agenda. And we want nothing to do with it. She wouldn't have gotten elected outside Queens. Why do we have to deal with it for the country? I, I hear you and I hear the frustration. Uh, Dorothy, listen to WABC. Hey, Dorothy. Hello. How you doing, Brian? Good. But, um, about the vaccine passports that they're all pushing. How about natural immunity passports? I agree. I had it, I had it in, in April and I'm 65 years old and... I got tested, and it's on record that I have it. And Dr. Fraud and the fake news always pushing the vaccines and biting, letting all these unvaccinated people come in. And there, a lot of people are leery about taking the vaccine, especially with the fake news pushing it. Listen, I hear you. What happened to all these uh, antibody uh, tests? That's get a few good I, ones. I don't don't they? Yeah. Don't they want to? Don't they want to make money? Why can't we get the antibody test instead of the swab test? And then when you get the antibody test, we should have it every three months to see about the durability. Then, Dorothy, it would be as if we're all in this together, as opposed to the dictatorial fashion in which they spout out their universal truths that end up blowing up in their faces, and they never admit when they're wrong. But they want to affect our lives. Think about if you were one of the 38,000 New York City workers, medical professionals that were told, don't come to work. You're fired because natural immunity is not good enough and your reluctance to take the vaccine falls on deaf ears. So, Dorothy, you're 100% right. That's called logic. You don't need a medical degree for that. When we come back, uh, Shannon Bream joins us. Uh, We're going to move forward what's happening inside Washington and also look about what's happening in Virginia. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Americans are traveling more than they were a year ago. That's a good thing. Americans are spending more. They're spending more in restaurants. They're spending more on sporting goods. They're spending more on nights out. They're spending more on travel. 
that's all a really good thing. That's what's most important. In part, that's happening because every person in this country got a $2,000 check, or almost every person in this country got a $2,000 check um, earlier this year. That was due to a combination. The first legislation was signed by President Trump. Um, the second legislation that was even bigger was signed by President Biden. Um, that's had positive sides. That's had negative sides. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Uh, I've never been happier that I didn't go to an Ivy League school. Not that they wanted me to begin with. That's the arrogance of Jason Furman. Uh, he was a uh, key economic advisor to President Obama. And he tweeted this out. And that was him with Bill Hemmer two hours ago. On Fox News, most of the economic problems we're facing, inflation, supply chains, are high-class problems. We wouldn't have them if the unemployment rate wasn't still 10 percent. Uh, we would not. Uh, we would instead have a much worse problem. Retweeted by the chief of staff, Ron Klain, often thought as the brains behind, along with Susan Rice, behind the president of the United States. High-class problem? If there's anything universal about what we're going through right now with the supply problems, with inflation problems, uh, everything that we're experiencing now as people try to get back to work in a workforce that – Many jobs are looking at now, vax mandates that you might want to comply to. Other people are quitting, uh, not going back to work because they got rental assistance, student loan forgiveness, and they got a whole lot of unemployment. I don't think it's because of $2,000 from eight months ago. What does that get you, a bus ride now? Let's talk to Shannon Bream. She has $2,000 bus rides. She's Fox News legal correspondent and anchor of Fox News at night at 12 o'clock. Uh, best-selling author, Shannon, welcome back. Brian, uh, thank you very much. And by the way, don't be modest. I know you got into all those IVs and you turned them down. Thank you. Because you're I a man of the people. Right. And I just said to myself, if I go there, I'll be looked at as an elitist the rest of my life. Right. And I don't want to lose my common touch. Right. I don't want to have a leg up. I don't want to make a lot of money. I don't want to hang out with the rich and famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to. So now you're just stuck hanging out with people like me. Yeah, I know. You know what? It's not that bad. <laughs> So, so Shannon, so. Would, do you think that did Jason Furman give you clarity on his tweet? Uh, no, I could. I have a couple more questions. But the thing is, once it's out there, and you have the White House Chief of Staff not once but twice highlighting it, and you know, we do this every day. You put up stuff that all of us go to the grocery store and buy bacon and eggs. I don't think that's elitist. I mean, or only fancy pants eating bacon eggs. I don't think so. Those are things that you know, gassing up your car. I mean, people are realists, and we know whether it's Republicans in charge or Democrats in charge, when they start to feel a hit in their wallet and their ability to pay their rent, pay their mortgage, feed their kids. It makes a difference to them when it's time to vote. So it'll be very interesting to see where this goes over the next year. Right. Uh, so, I, you know, I wanted to say I shouldn't have said high class. I should have meant something else. But he's, like, he's saying upper class, uh, like we're, we're, we have a, an embarrassment of riches, but we're not. If the shelves were packed mm-hmm. and the ports were backed up, I would understand it. But we have a huge problem that goes along with it. Now, without my Harvard education, please try to um, – uh, please try to try to put up with my uh, my my explanation. Basically, mm-hmm. this: we have no truck drivers, we have no crane operators, we have no um, we have nobody to a longshoreman to unload these ships. So therefore, nothing's getting done. So in every port, it's all backed up. 
So when you go into the grocery store, things are more expensive because we have less of it. Yeah, there's a demand for it. So they jack up the prices because it is the free market, as unsavory as that might sound. But mm-hmm. truck rentals are up 42%. Gas is up 43%. Hotel, do you want to get a hotel? It's up on average 20%. Steak up 20%. Milk 3%. Eggs 12%. And they say right now gas is three $3.29. I have not seen it below $4 where I am at. And in, in mm-hmm. the city, five twenty-five. One year ago, on average, $2.18. If there's any tweet that I thought was unworthy to be retweeted, it was his. Maybe a phone call if he wants to say there's a good side to inflation, but I just don't understand how tone deaf they seem to be. Well, because the average person out there feels this stuff. It's not, um, you know, you when you get picked up in your limo every day with the caviar and Grey Poupon. That's not exactly, right. you know, what most of us are living through. Right. So not many people have mustard they, on caviar, but I understand what you're trying to say. I'm well, I mean separately. You might yeah. have a burger in there. Kobe exactly. beef, of course. Yes. That's where the Grey Poupon goes. Um, but, you know, people have BS detectors. You know what I mean? They can tell what their grocery bill is. They know what their gas bill is. And get ready for your heating bill for this winter, too, if you live in a colder climate in the U.S. So, I mean, people know the real-world impact of this stuff, and it just, to me, it, it is a little bit tone-deaf, if anything, because even if you think that, you should be able to read the room. I mean, all of our polling, and it's not just Fox, it's across the board, shows that people are very worried about inflation, they're worried about the economy, and that's across parties. And independents are really shifting on those things, too. They've really pulled away from President Biden, and they don't think he's doing a good job handling things like the economy, like inflation. So at least even if you said, like, you said they could have a phone call or they can have an internal conversation about it. That tweet, though, is not a good sense of taking the temperature of the country. Right. I just thought one thing that they had the Biden administration is experience to not make mm-hmm. stupid mistakes. And I was yep. wrong. Uh, so I have to bring you to a guest on your show, John Yu, last night. So mm-hmm. we have these mass mandates and now we have the vax mandates and we have thousands of really good people who are getting kicked out of the medical profession, kicked out of schools as teachers because they don't want to get vaccinated. Soon cops over in Chicago mm-hmm. and in New York City, they're contemplating a vax mandate and only 64 percent of the force are mandated uh, have been vaccinated. The TSA, there's 20 percent at minimum have not been vaccinated. United is demanding it. And I think other airlines will join just as we get to the holidays and our package are backed up soon our airlines or transportation is going to be affecting us because of the mandates with the vaccine even though we've reached a level where many people told us would be herd immunity here's what john hughes showed told you last night he's a berkeley law professor cut 17 the fact that the biden administration is calling on people to turn in their own employers at a time when employers are desperate to get employees i think shows how tenuous the claim of the federal government is to try to create a nationwide mandate. The federal government is not in charge of public health throughout the country. It doesn't really have the constitutional power to impose a vaccine mandate. That's up to the states and the governors and to cities and counties and our local government. So what the federal government is doing, it's stretching too far beyond the limited powers given it to it in the Constitution. And then it has to resort, under, I think, onto underhanded techniques like this to say, Turn in your fellow employees and employers to the Occupational Safety Health Administration, which really doesn't have the authority to govern vaccines in the workplace. And they're coming up with rules they're going to give to companies with over 100 people to say, you got to go vaccinate everybody. Or I guess the we're supposed to tell private companies, the government's going to tell private companies to fire them. 
I mean, this is the tricky thing, is that, first of all, we don't even have the federal regulation yet from OSHA. The president made this announcement a few weeks ago. We're going to do this thing. If you have 100 or more, this is a plan. We don't even have the regulation yet, but that's enough to scare most businesses. Well, we better get in line. We better get it going, because eventually this rule is going to come out. We're going to have to comply. I mean, the fines and things are astronomical if you're, if you're not in compliance here. And so we have law professors and people out there suggesting, well, OSHA doesn't have the workforce that it would need to go have enforcers in all of these, um, you know, every business in the United States of America that has 100 people or more. So they're encouraging people to narc on their fellow employees or their employer. So if your employer is not enforcing the vaccine mandate, but you're one of the folks who thinks the, ma- the mandate is a good idea, you're supposed to call up OSHA and report your employer. It's so it's a very strange scenario that we're actually encouraging people to engage in. But, you know, John's right. There are going to be a number of legal fights. We've got a nurse on tonight with her attorney who, you know, we've all talked to these folks on our shows about they're having to make these decisions now, um, especially healthcare workers who were our heroes and, and went in when there was so little we knew about COVID and risked getting it and risked their lives. And many, many of them have had it. Um, and now we're telling them you have to leave. You were safe to work here without any protection, at least a vaccine last year. And now you you got to go. So um, it's just a conversation that's going to keep happening. And I think John hits on one of the central themes, which is the government, the federal government cannot force private actors to do things it itself is not allowed to do. So I think that's going to be the heart of the legal argument. And there are cases everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and every time President Biden, my opinion, hops upon the microphone, he's always angry at something. He doesn't take any questions. Six minutes in, says the same thing. Come on, get vaccinated. Listen, it wouldn't be yelling at somebody at one in the afternoon is not going to work for the country. And the demands are making people do something they're not comfortable doing, and they're not taking in natural immunity. And don't tell me you care about the country when you're letting millions, uh, tens of thousands, and 1.7 million overall come into our country illegally with at 20 percent minimum have some type of disease. That's what they're telling us at the border. And many are offered free vaccines or turning it down. But we got to crack down on the firefighter in Chicago or New York City or Omaha, Nebraska. To me, um, yeah. it's just unbelievable how this guy was supposed to bring us together is going out of his way to divide us. Well, and the people that we most value in society are our first responders and our healthcare workers. But you make that contrast about the border, and it's a difficult one for the White House. It is very hard to square. And luckily, we've got uh, you know Peter Ducey and Jackie Heinrich in there asking these questions. Um, some of the other media seem that they're they're also um, you know onto that that topic and onto the the incongruity of those different things. Um, so we just got to hope people keep asking questions because it doesn't make sense. Yes, we all want to take this seriously, mm-hmm. but if you're going to allow the border to operate in the way it's currently operating, it's difficult to tell Americans that they should lose their jobs over the shot that people coming in, most of them illegally, are not right. getting. It should be impossible, but I understand you being diplomatic and being a journalist. Um, <laughs> President I'm Biden had a Supreme Court commission, and mm-hmm. they debated court packing. And it looks as though if you read the overview, they don't think it's a good idea to pack the court, but they do want to rotate Supreme Court justices. Does that okay with with uh, with you? I don't know. I think that, you know, nobody um, who currently sits on the court thinks it needs any revisions. Uh, And that included uh, when she was there, the late Justice uh, Ginsburg. I mean, she said, like, we've got nine. We know how this works. Let's do it. Let's keep with it. So um, there's not going to be any appetite for change there uh, at the court. And, you know, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't suggest adding more justices. But to their credit, I think that they did do a serious consideration of this stuff. I don't know how the rotating thing would work. Um, because you're going to – there's going to be 
there will be questions about who gets assigned to what cases and how that process works and if you can make it to truly random. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I, I don't think we want to do anything that makes people question the court and how it's operating. Uh, and you'd have plenty of resistance. So we'll see if any of that happens. So you need 60 votes for this, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, Capitol okay. Hill can make some changes uh, to the court, but they haven't done it in over a century, so I'm not quite sure they have the appetite for it. They're right. trying. Right. And, Shannon, have you heard any give with cinema and mansion? Because everything we're reading and hearing, nothing's mm -hmm. changed. Yeah, and the thing is, you know that there are other Democrats who are hiding behind them. I mean, like, they're taking all of the heat. But if they felt like they had everybody else on board and totally unified, I think there would be even more pressure on those two. Uh, but I do think that there are a few Democrats who are taking sort of comfort in the fact that those two are taking all the incoming and they're sort of hiding behind them because they're not fully convinced on these expenditures either. But they seem pretty locked in with their positions, the two of them. Right. Uh, okay. Shannon Bream, thanks so much. I look forward to your show tonight. See you then. All right. Shannon Bream on uh, tonight, uh, Fox News at Night. Appreciate it. Just a quick announcement. I have the President Freedom Fighter coming out November 2nd, and I'm going to be doing two events. Uh, I've got, I'll give you some events that are coming. i got a virtual event November 3rd. We can call in on that. Go to BrianKillMe.com. Manhasset, New York, Publicans on Plandome Road. I'll be signing there for a couple hours, two or three hours. Hope to see everybody there on Long Island. Usually do book review, but the place closed. Then for the first time, I'm going to an area that Tunnel of the Towers tells me is fantastic, uh, Staten Island. I'll be at Barnes & Noble and Staten Island Mall. I want to see all the WABC listeners out there. Uh, then we have a live event in West Virginia, November 7th. you got to get tickets. Doylestown, Pennsylvania, in the middle of the week, November 11th at Salem United Church. And for the first time, going to upstate New York, Albany, New York, the Bookhouse of Stuyvesant Plaza. That'll be November 12th. So that's enough for you to memorize. Go to BrianKillMe.com and just uh, register so you don't have to wait. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This bill shows that we can work together. I know a lot of people, some sitting in the audience here, didn't think this could happen. This bill is declared dead more often than anyway. Anyway, I forgot what I was going to say, but you had a chance to get a victory and you couldn't get your own caucus together. So you sided with the left wing of your party. This guy had a win. He could have said, I did something in three months that Donald Trump couldn't do in four years. Instead, nine months later, he walked away from that deal because he couldn't convince the squad and company that he had a deal. Uh, your loss for no reason. Ron, listening on KSLM in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Ron. I'm going to sum everything up for you, my brother. God bless you on your new book, uh, which I probably won't be afford to get right now. But nevertheless, California, the biggest problem is this. You got all those ships out there out in, in L.A. and Frisco and everything else? Yep. Look at the cap and tread that they put on since Schwarzenegger. It is destroyed that state. It kept the incentive of my foster father, my adoptive father. You know what, Ron? Tell me out with that. I did not know anything about this. Could you tell me what you're talking about? Cap and trade, California, they went through as of 2018, and they have st any new semi, 2005 or older, 2010 and older, is not allowed to ride, drive in California. Ugh. 
the price of fuel is a dollar and a quarter higher. At three nineteen, I pay for diesel in Oregon. They're paying four thirty nine to five twenty five. So, and you your extra fees, your power, and everything else, it's killing. Why would it, everybody stops at this, in Nevada, Oregon, and 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 Arizona lines? They don't want to go into California. That's number one. You have the drivers. Number two, we have also look at all the ships. We used to manufacture. We didn't have ships like that. Even during the time of a previous president's time, we never had that many ships sitting out there. And who controls the longshoreman makes 170 to 220,000 on either coast average? Right. And you tell me we can't offload, you can't find. Right, Ron, I think you're right. Just like the pandemic made us think we got to start making more stuff at home from medicine to PPE, I think we're also getting the sense that since we don't, since we have to import everything, when stuff like this happens, we are brought to our knees, and it, it's not in our national security interest. Uh, Mario, listen on WABC in New Jersey. Mario. Hey, good morning, Brian. So, you know, it was funny you talked about the economic advisors that are surrounding yes. um, our president. So it's nothing but incompetent. I don't, I don't care where they went to school. I have a finance degree, and I'm going to tell you the truth right now. It's total incompetence from the Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, right on through they're spending money that they don't have. They don't care. And when a guy calls it high class, it's an elitist bureaucratic commentary of exactly out of touch how they how out of touch they are with the American people. I hear you. I, I mean, you have you have a low interest rate environment right now. For the last three years, they've been flooding the market with capital, and quite frankly, it's what's causing the labor shortages because people basically have money and they're not going to go to work they have no reason to go to work and and the bottom line is you know look i know uh, I, i'm not i don't want to get politics involved as far as you know trump or democrats or republicans the bottom line is it's been horrific monetary policy for the last three years and it's kind of what's causing inflation right now. It has nothing to do with labor shortages. It's just too much money gotcha. in the system. And the tapering has to – they have I, to stop tapering. We do. And it's gonna, there's going to be a little bit of a struggle over as we're about the next election. Uh, but don't tell us that this is an upper-class problem. It's an American problem. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. I'll be on with doing a simulcast on a Fox, Fox News Channel in about 20 minutes. I'll be on with Harris Faulkner. That'll be great. And we'll be able to slip some calls in right after that. And Congressman Jeff Fortenberry will be with us. He's been working tirelessly to get our Americans and our allies out of Afghanistan. He had a few success stories. He wants to tell us what really is going on in the biggest military disaster of all of our lifetimes. We'll appreciate that. And, of course, uh, you could always pick up uh, pre-order the president and the freedom fighter. It's Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. I think you're going to love the way they interact with each other. It's going to be available November 2nd. 
And I'm also going to be, uh, I have all my, uh, on my website, you can see all the appearances that have been uh, confirmed. So you can get tickets to just about all of them to, to reserve your place. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think the president has still been working behind the scenes with that one goal in mind, which is getting Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kirsten Sinema on board so they can make progress. But we know that there's still no consensus among Democrats over what this should look like. Caitlin Collins reporting for CNN, not on board. Manchin and Cinema dig in and hold out on the administration's ill-timed, ill-conceived $3 trillion spending spree as Bob Gates weighs in on their ridiculous exit from Afghanistan and what it means for America. Number two. We're down to 66 million, still unacceptably high number of unvaccinated people from almost 100 million in July. Vaccination requirements should not be another issue that divides us. Don't tell me that. Tell yourself that. Mandate mania. Can someone tell this administration the Delta variant's dying, cases are receding, his mass vax demands are causing massive firings and fueling hate and resentment across the country? An easy fix. Don't do it. We already Our numbers are already through the roof in terms of vaccination percentage around the country. We have herd immunity. Number one. To say it's a high-class problem, rich people can take care of higher prices, but working families can't. And we're seeing this now for months. The supply chain problem is going to make it worse. What little money they have left, they're going to have a difficult time buying Christmas gifts for their kids. It's a disaster. It is. David McIntosh, president of Club for Growth. High-class problems, that's how President Biden's chief of staff views what's happening with high inflation, bare shelves, and clogged supply chain. How clueless can one administration be? And how could you, if you are Secretary of Labor, even if you're on so-called paternity leave, when you adopted a baby, to be out for three months when this nation needs you? If you knew you were doing this, you shouldn't have taken the job. Uh, So let's get down to examining what we just discussed. And I'll be on with Harris in about 15 minutes. So what everybody's talking about is what Brett Baer said to me yesterday when he walked in the studio. He said, I just got this real retweet by retweet by Ron Klain. He couldn't believe it. And it basically was this from Jason Furman. He's a key national uh, finance advisor to President Obama, now at Harvard. Most of the economic problems he tweets out were facing inflation, supply chains, and high-class problems. We wouldn't have them if unemployment was at 10%. We wouldn't have them. It could be much worse. It was retreated twice by Ron Klain. So what's he talking about? High-class problems? I mean, I can give you some of the numbers, but you probably experienced them. You know how much bread is. You know how much meat is. You know that 40% more for gas, for tires, to travel. Everything is more money. You're going out to eat all of a sudden. You go to a bargain place. You think you, think you understand the bill, and it's 20% more. How could this be a high-class problem? How can you be that clueless? Mar Eliasson, a, a moderate who also oftentimes goes on special report, was there last night, cut for. Anything that makes it harder for middle-class people to afford the stuff they need is a problem. Not a high-class one, a problem. A problem. And the, pro- and the problem for the Biden administration is that everything in the economy is now on them. Yeah, it's a problem. Even though two days ago they blamed President Trump. And when you tell people that you don't have a problem— but yet they are paying more for gas, for travel, for everything, for the coats, for the gifts and that aren't coming. You can't tell people don't worry about it. Vivek Ramswamy, I thought, had a great perspective last night. All these things about, you know, about gender and bathrooms, 
all this uh, minor stuff that we've been talking about is because our country was almost bored. But now we're getting down to uh, brass tacks, and we got to go back to the fundamentals because everything that we're doing has been affected by some of these terrible woke policies. Cut seven. Now, as you begin to see economic recession and economic consequences in this country, as you begin to see inflation, as you begin to see gas prices go up, I think you're actually going to see the rise of the Occupy Wall Street left come back and say we on the left need to be going back to arguing about economic inequality as opposed to talking about racism and misogyny and bigotry. And you know what? I think that's going to be a good thing for the left. I think it's going to be a good thing for this country because that's ultimately what the left and right ought to be arguing about. Interesting. When we come back, I go on with Harris Faulkner on the Faulkner Focus, and we talk about some of these same issues as well uh, as what is going on with these vax mandates and how it's affecting our economy. Maybe it's lost, you've lost your job because of it. Listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's a big hour. Don't go anywhere. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. In a matter of moments, we're going to go on Fox News Channel and do a simulcast with Harris Faulkner. We're going to be talking about this administration, President Biden's insistence on walking away at press conferences after a few minutes, some angry remarks, uh, urges you to get vaccinated, talks about how, how could dare anyone question him, and then takes his back, turns his back, and walks away. And we'll talk about that and how out of touch they are. Uh, seemingly with this Afghanistan policy that they hope would 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 just uh, fade away. It's not. And with the uh, inflation and the problems of the ports that they thought would work itself out, and it isn't. And the su- suggestion that they could solve the problem with that conference that they had the other day, when we saw President Trump do something similar, I actually solve the problem, bring cameras in, and listen to the think tank taking place as compared to what we got. Let's have one port work 24 hours. That'll get our packages onto the shelves. Not a chance. So we're not seeing any big picture, and in the small picture, they can't get their own house in order. So let's listen together. Thank you very much. <laughs> Reporters and lawmakers are taking notice of the trend. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert tweeted this. Once again, scripted Joe refused to take questions and turned his back on Americans. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy wrote, while your paycheck shrinks from skyrocketing inflation and supply chain shortages, he takes no questions and no responsibility. He just walks away. Brian Kilmeade, co-host of Fox and Friends and host of the Brian Kilmeade Show on Fox News Radio, which he's doing right now. I, yes. I know we're not even in a commercial. You're simulcasting, so let's get to it. Walk away, Joe. Brian. Now, number one, I just compared to the previous president. Uh, so interested in interacting with the press was he that he told Stephanie Grisham, who did a terrible job and now has turned on him and written a, a book that nobody wants to read. Uh, don't, bear, don't, uh, don't go to the press conferences. I'll do it. He would walk out, and people didn't like the chopper in the background, and go, next, you, 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 knowing that 97% of them despised his very existence and don't think he should have been elected. Now, President Biden's got a series of issues, Harris, that affect you and I on a daily basis. What are we doing at the ports? What are we doing with the shelves? Uh, what are we doing getting uh, some food and some uh, items in the major 
uh, corporate uh, from the Costco's to the Walmarts. He has no answers. His answer was open up one port in California for 24 hours. Fantastic. That'll work. Problem solved. He doesn't want to answer those questions or about Afghanistan, so he walks away. But it makes you look weak, not strong. Yeah, you know, I mean, and Brian, it's starting to seem like it is part of the plan. Like, it doesn't even seem like, oh, okay, good idea, let's just moments notice walk away. He gets to the end, he closes his little book, and he says nothing. <laughs> I mean, it seems scripted, scripted silence. Uh, let me get to this. The buck stops with the president no matter what. But you have to start to wonder about the leadership of this administration. I was saying it's time to adult, time to show some leadership. Serious problems now facing so many of his top people. Look at what we have created on our big wall. Uh, and it almost wasn't big enough for all of this. You have to ask, how much are they really helping Joe Biden? There seem to be a lot of self-inflicted wounds among the people you see here. Brian. Well, the big picture, for example, when those generals came out a couple of weeks ago and said, yeah, I suggested to the president leave 4,000 troops, 2,000 troops, not to leave yet, push back the deadline, demand to see something in writing. And he didn't listen to me. Uh, the generals were helpless in Afghanistan. But if you look at that list that, and that wall that I just saw there, uh, Mayorkas is going with the president's vision terribly. And I remember Tom Holman saying he knows how to do the job. He was deputy once under Jay Johnson. He knows what's wrong. He's choosing not to do it. And you at have the, the secretary of transportation. We haven't seen it. He took three months off. Everybody understands paternity leave. But if something so vital as your national interest matters, I can't picture you taking the job if you know in a few months you're going to be taking three months off that this is a window of opportunity to serve your country. You can't leave for three months. Bad decision. You know, uh, so I was thinking about this because you know, people do this all the time. I mean, parents, men and women, taking time off when their new little ones come along. They have somebody to do the job to step in, right? So he has a deputy transportation secretary named John Porcari. And why does that matter? Because this is the person that Biden has put in charge as his port czar. Never knew about him because if he were going to step in for the transportation secretary, Brian, during a crisis of supply chain and other things we've had going on, I mean, those ships didn't just get there 20 minutes ago waiting to be unloaded. All of our goods, prices going up. That's taken some time, right? Why well, haven't seen John Picari at the lectern instead of Pete Buttigieg Absolutely. if he was staying on his leave? Which, as you said, it's so true. He can do it. Absolutely. People do it. Babies are always prosperous, and they're always a blessing in our lives. Prosperity, rather. Your thoughts? Is it John or Joe Picari? Because the president kept changing oh, his name every time right. he discussed him. Oh, uh, and now I'm no, catching no, it. No, no it's you were John. Right. I said it. It's no, John. No, you got it right. But oh, the, the president, president kept flipping it. He's doing such a great job. If there's anybody not doing a good job, it's the guy in charge of getting the ships in and out of port. Let's be honest. They've been out there longer than the, uh, longer than the crown princess on the <laughs> Les Cruz. What oh, are they doing? Goodness. We had William Lajeunesse in there. They're not moving. These are all our goods that we paid for. And they're explaining to us through this former economic advisor to President Obama, that it's a good thing. It's a good, it's a upper class problem that we'll have to wait for our goods with empty shelves and that inflation is rising. It's a good problem to have. Please don't explain to me how paying 40% more for gas is a good problem to have. But you have the labor secretary, he can't answer the question, why is everyone quitting? The labor secretary who can't answer questions, why do we have a workforce, we have the unemployment rate dropping, but we have less people working in our country 
We have, uh, we have a, somebody with vision and a labor secretary that says, give supplemental insurance, give rental relief, and give student loan forgiveness. And you wonder why no one's jumping back into the workplace. And mm-hmm. then you have a situation where you have a $3.5 trillion package, which no one for, someone forgot to tell the president that he can't get his own party to vote for. So wherever you go, he has been failed. But the overarching picture is not only is he responsible, this is what Joe Biden wanted. And he, they, it, just is, it just turns out his vision is impossible to implement. Wow. You know, I, I'm thinking about what you just said with Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation and the Supply Chain, and how, you know, you've got a chief of staff, Ron Klain, retweeting that it's high-class problems. What about the diabetics in this country? People who, who can't go out and find cotton at the end of this, cotton swabs, to alcohol their fingers to prick them to take their blood levels. That's a great point. I mean, you know, I'm just thinking basic because that's who we all are as Americans. We have basic things that bind us together. It is unbelievable that anybody thinks that you're rich if you can't go to the, the grocery store and get what you need to eat. Two overarching statements on, on what you would do if you're a real leader. There's two things that happens. The reason why we're importing so much is because we don't make anything anymore. We decided to do that over a series of administrations. I get it. This is our wake-up call. If you explain that to the American people and you show a shot of those ships in the press conference and you say the reason we do is because we don't make anything because it's cheaper for somebody else to make it, that's got to change. you got to be prepared to pay a little bit more, but just know it's in our national security. Number two. We got to get healthier as a country. You know, the reason why this virus feasts on us and Americans is because we're too, we're not in shape. We're not taking care of ourselves. And those are the people that have the hardest time shaking off the virus. Not all, but in many ways. So as a wow. country, let's get healthier. And as a country, let's start making our own stuff. And it's not going to be a tomorrow solution, but I got four years here. In three years, I want to see real progress. And these are, this is going to be our plan to show it. Then we're on the same page. Don't tell me I'm fired if I don't get a vaccine. Don't tell me I got uh, three weeks to, get, to, to choose to do something or else I have to find another career. Right now, the president has been, gone out of his way to seemingly to divide the country. And from their reconciliation plan to the vax mandates, that's exactly what's happening. I'm wow. watching police walking off the job, firefighters, medical workers. Listen to this. We have lost 400 medical workers at the Buffalo Medical Center, 220 at Columbia Presbyterian. And now we're scrambling. We have uh, 18,000 overall just in New York City. And we're going to ask the National Guard to help us out in hospitals. Is that a way to bring the country together? So, Brian, you have, I mean, you have... Put all of this and, capital, and capitalized it and capitalized it down to just a few words. And it is, come on, do we have their attention yet? Uh, good to yeah. see you, Brian. Thank you. I know you're simulcasting. Tell your listeners hello. And, and tell your viewers I said hi. All right. Democrat. <laughs> uh, thanks, Harris. one uh, 408 So the other thing to keep in mind, too, when it comes to this virus, cases are down 26%. I don't know why people don't want to talk about good news. And when you look at people 18 and up, 79% have gotten a single shot because under 18, you you don't have to get it, I don't think. Uh, And 68% have had a single shot, excuse me, been double vaxxed. 79% have been vaccinated once, which means you have a lot of immunity. Maybe you choose not to get the second shot. I'm not sure. Or you're in the midst in that three-week gap. But just wait, because you know what's coming? Go vaccinate that five-year-old, and if you don't, he or she is not coming to school. Oh, the third grader? Tell her she's not going to be seeing her friends anymore because their parents are wary about giving a shot that just was created nine months ago. If you're a parent of a young child, you don't care if it's a Democrat or Republican. You have your views about this vaccine. That's going to be the next big thing. And I'll just add one more. 
The uh, the other story is they're going to make us say the durability of these shots is out in a year, and they're going to try to get us to line up all over again. Beyond the booster will be the, the theme of our show. Derek in South Dakota. Hey, Derek. Hey, Brian. Uh, I guess I just want to make a quick comment. I think these uh, pictures of the empty shelves should be relabeled. This is what socialism looks like. You go to any of these socialist countries, you don't have options, you don't have uh, – yeah, you don't have food. You don't have the basic necessities. So I think we should be saying this is this is socialism. This isn't this isn't America. Well, that's what you would say if you were in Joe Biden. That's what we would say, and that's what he would say if he says the. What I would do is acknowledge. I'd acknowledge you're paying more for gas, and I would acknowledge I made a mistake in dragging down the gas and oil industry and begging OPEC to do something we were doing ourselves. I would acknowledge that some of these uh, the shipping things are his fault for not getting on it quick enough. And then saying that we have to make sure that we find a way to come together and, and solve the problem. And I would acknowledge the outline to fix it and also acknowledge, too, the new trend on our southern border are middle class, so-called middle class people taking cars and buses to our border and then getting in and then picking up where they left off over in Connecticut and in the suburbs in New Jersey and in New York and in California because Brazil and Venezuela are turning out to be failed states, and those with money are choosing to take it here. That's the new trend. So do we want their, the government that they're running from? Because that's where we're heading, if they pass the 3.5, which I hope they don't do. All right, when we come back, there's one congressman more than perhaps any other working to get our allies and our citizens out of Afghanistan. He joins us next. The t- From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Certainly the military considers the withdrawal the most dangerous uh, part of an operation, but, but they really had a lot of time to plan. Uh, beginning with the deal that President Trump cut uh, with the Taliban. Uh, So that was in February of 2020. Once President Biden reaffirmed that there was going to be a firm deadline date, that's the point at which I think they should have begun bringing those people out. Would have been nice, but they didn't. Bob Gates wouldn't uh, wouldn't have allowed this ineptness to take place. He would have quit. As Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, before he allowed it to happen, I'm convinced of it. That's part of a 60 Minutes interview, and I'm just never going to get over how he left Afghanistan. And I can only imagine if you fought there how you would feel today. Congressman Jeff Fortenberry has never stopped trying to get people out because President Biden had no problem leaving a lot of our friends and allies behind and those who helped our allies in NATO. Congressman Jeff Fortenberry joins us now. Uh, he represents his first district in Nebraska. Congressman, welcome back. What have you been doing since we left Afghanistan? Well, uh, Brian, the first thing that I had to do was try to recover from what was this chaotic, incoherent withdrawal and the gut punch that I felt, and so many other members of Congress, as well as so many other Americans and, and veterans. And then when uh, basically our operations were complete, trying to be in ongoing dialogue with neighboring states, uh, as well as uh, organizations who continue to advance heroic efforts to save lives and just get people out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's an organization, an incredible organization called Human First Coalition, 
that I learned about. Uh, the founder of it is an, an Afghan-American from Nebraska who left medical school here, uh, a former vet, a former, former service member who was so disturbed by what's happening, put together this broad coalition and actually helped, was the one that got uh, President Biden's translator out. Now, with that said, there are hundreds of others left behind in Pakistan. They've been very successful in moving people. have gotten nearly 7,000 people out. But there's a couple hundred uh, that were left behind right there in Pakistan. So one thing that the State Department could do right now is help get them out. And uh, frankly, I'm grateful to the Pakistanis for having been helpful as well. But there's so many layers of complexities to this that we just have to keep trying to save lives. Uh, You don't want to give exactly where they're coming from, but it's all through land. Yeah, it doesn't seem as though you're able to fly too many people out. And the State Department, what I hear, is not too cooperative because they're not getting a chance to vet them themselves. One thing the State Department could do right now is move those people out of Pakistan. How many? Again, we're, we're, it's several hundred. We, have, we celebrated uh, and we're grateful that uh, the State Department came and got Uh, President Biden's translator, but there are lots of people left behind. Uh, Hopefully, as well, uh, monies can flow into these organizations that uh, we've effectively outsourced government operations. It's amazing. It's embarrassing. We are where we are. I could spend the entire interview just uh, unpacking criticism about it, but I, I, I just want to try to help. The best thing we can do is commend countries. And I'll tell you, there's a country out there, a little country called Albania who's taken 4,000 refugees. Wow. Uh, they're punching way above their weight, and I commended their, their diplomats and have written a letter to their president just saying thank you. So there's a lot that can be done by the international community, but these uh, organizations that are on the ground now who have expertise, have special operations expertise, have next networks and relationships, they need to be supported. So one group that's helping you out this Human First Coalition, and did that play a role Congressman Fortenberry, in getting out this interpreter that helped then-Senator Biden, Senator Kerry, and now Secretary of State Blinken? They're the ones who did it, yes, because of their commitment, because of the relationships they have on the ground there, uh, because of the resources that were provided by charitable people. uh, They just went out and did it. Uh, But there's a lot of other people left behind, Americans, special immigrant visa holders, people who are religious minorities who are going to face persecution or death. And um, we're Americans. We're just not going to sit around and watch other people die. And so I want to commend this particular group, Human First, for just taking some real initiative and getting the job done. Is anyone working with you, other Congress members, Democrats in particular? I've had some uh, ongoing – look, it's all fragmented in a mess, and a lot of members were trying to help uh, their own constituents, as I was, and had some initial success. Uh, we have been in dialogue with other members to basically interact with the diplomats of other countries to try to get them to step up and help, and um, we've just got a lot of work to do. Do you think the administration is aware how many people are left behind? Because they said about 100 Meanwhile, they've gotten more than 100 out. They keep saying about 100. Do you think they know? It's, I, I knew you were going to ask me that, Brian, and I have no good answer for you. Uh, they're going to say that these are people who want to stay. Uh, it might oh. be good to have some of those people on the ground if they're willing to talk to you to actually get a better estimate. Uh, it's obviously 100 to 200, but it could be considerably higher. But th- this also doesn't include people who, again, have eligibility to come to America or who cooperated with America and have vital reasons to 
seek our help because they're going to be persecuted or die. In addition to that, of course, we, we're very sensitive to the protection of religious freedoms. And um, there are many countries around the world who, again, are probably disposed toward taking people in, but the United States has to broker those deals. It's frustrating. You don't want to give away secrets of how they're getting out. But let me ask you this. How, uh, you know, for the longest time we heard uh, the Taliban are going to be different this time. They're not going to be targeting people. Forgiveness for all. Is that the case? Do you ask yourself that? Do you really want to trust that? Now, right now, they're putting on a happy face because they want our aid money and they want the international community to continue to have uh, humanitarian efforts flow, which prop up their regime. Uh, so in the meanwhile, we've got some leverage in that regard. But uh, over time, you, you, you remember the brutality, the repression of women, the, the public killings and hangings, the torture, the executions this sort of medieval, uh, religious, twisted ideology imposed upon that society? Do we really think that uh, these are trustworthy partners? Now, in the meanwhile, uh, you got to deal with what you've, you've got, and if there's some openings here to continue to help persecuted people get out, we need to take it. I would think so. So how can people help? Well, uh, it, it, it's an awkward question for me in the sense that my role has been one of diplomacy, dialoguing with other uh, countries to try to smooth some pathway, pathways here, as well as our own State Department, trying to be in constructive uh, dialogue with them as to what needs to be done next. But there are a number of organizations, I named one, Human First Coalition, that is having success. Uh, and if people want to look them up, I'd, I'd recommend they just review what they're doing. Uh, that's one thing they could do. But our own government could also back these organizations up because we've we've outsourced our efforts to them. And they are succeeding. But there is a limited window of time here. Unbelievable. Uh, they, they just want it to go away. And it's just like they want the border to go away. But they're not fixing anything. And it's not going to go away. The American people deserve so much better. Congressman Jeff Fortenberry is talking about the struggle to get people out because the government is barely cooperating so the other thing, uh, Congressman, is I had Eric Prince in here. He's got a private organization. He talked to Tajikistan, and they are allowed. They would allow flights to go in and out. They know exactly how, where to pick people up. All they need is an okay from the U.S. ambassador that it's all right, and he will not even return sitting Congress people's calls, let alone Eric Prince's calls. Is there anything you can do there? Uh, it's possible. It always helps if other members of Congress are willing to do this in groups. Remember, it, it kind of fell to Congress to sort of act individually, and we've been doing our best to try to keep a core group of people interactive and attentive to things. Uh, so, uh, look, the, the reality is we've been – we've. I want to say this publicly. I'm grateful to Pakistan for the help that they've provided, and that might sound a little bit unusual to you, but there's people there, and they've been kept safe. And I think the Pakistanis deserve some credit. The Macedonians have taken in people. The Albanians, country you've never even heard of. If Tajikistan and Uzbekistan want to constructively help here, it's time for them to step up. I'll do what I can. Thanks so much. I know uh, we have uh, two huge stations uh, over in Nebraska, COIL. Uh, everybody's listening. Uh, and would they appreciate what you're doing. Uh, Nebraska Congressman Fortenberry, thanks so much, uh, Congressman. Thanks, Brian. Good to talk to you. You got it. one 408 When we come back, I'll be able to wrap up uh, this hour. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you're just tuning in, in a couple of weeks, the President of Freedom Fighter is out. You can go uh, pre-order now. It's Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass. 
uh, and their battle to save America's soul. And a lot of my affiliates are, a lot of people saying, oh, we're coming to a city near you. This is what I can tell you. Uh, we're going to do a virtual event on November 3rd. You'll have a chance to interact. I could sign your book live. Manhasset, New York is my Long Island stop at Publicans in Manhasset. Uh, WABC uh, listeners hopefully will meet me out there. Staten Island, uh, Barnes & Noble, huge listenership there and hopefully viewership uh, on Fox News. Charleston, uh, Charleston, West Virginia, got to get tickets to that. By the way, all these places, just reserve your place. Just go to BrianKillMe.com. Charleston, West Virginia will be the Charleston Coliseum. Talking about all my books, especially the new one. Doylestown, Pennsylvania will be a signing at Salem United Church of Christ in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. That'll be on the 11th. I also have an Atlanta stop they'll be posting shortly, too. Albany, New York, first time doing that. My seventh book, never been up there uh, for a book signing November 12th. Uh, the Book House of Stuyvesant Plaza, go reserve your spot. Um, then I'll be in Elkhart, Indiana, a big noise event at Learner Theater. Vero Beach, November 16th at the Vero Beach Book Center. Then the, the Patriot Awards. I'm going to be uh, playing a role there. Fox hosts the Patriots Wars. These patriotic people, we go into a live theater. I'll be signing books at the Hard Rock Live, so that'll be fantastic. And then I'm going right over there to Alabama, November 19th, Fair Hope, and the Page and Palette. And then the Villages. You cannot have a book out and not feel great loyal fans of the Villages, November 20th. Orlando, Florida, the Plaza Live, WDBO listeners especially. Hope to see you out there. Also, WOKV. I know we're virtually sold out, but if you don't mind the two-hour trip, we'd love to see you. Clearwater, Florida, a few tickets remain for Bill Heimer Capitol Theater. That'll be December 4th. Um, and then we're in McLean, Virginia, December 5th. Ferdinand Beach, Florida, uh, December 7th. Newtown, Pennsylvania, December 14th. And then I'll, uh, and that'll be about it. We'll squeeze some other events in between. So listen, uh, I'll be back to take your calls and find out if there's indeed more to know. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Newsmakers and newsbreakers hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Some people are saying Virginia actually may sweep red altogether, not just the governor's race. Well, right now, Dana, the race is tighter than Brian Kilmeade's Botoxed forehead. <laughs> I don't think he has a Botox forehead. Well, it's But very... it, it is tighter than a tick. Yes, there you go. I like that. I tighter. wrote that right there. Tighter, tighter than, than a tick. tick. You needed to write that down? What is, I don't know. You... I was just thinking of a good line. Wow. So that was the five yesterday? So I'm, it's unbelievable. This guy is so uh, obsessed with me. It's amazing. He has a notebook full of kill me jokes. That I he mean, goes but he to. was yeah. reading it. It sounds like he was reading it. No, I don't think so. I, think he was, off the top of um, I like the tighter than a tick. That should be your new tagline. Brian kill me tighter than a tick. I actually don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't. I mean, I tried to roll with that. But let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. So get this. George Stephanopoulos has a production company. This is what they gave him when they didn't give him the nightly news or the title he wanted. So they gave him a production company. His first project is called Out of the Shadows. The man behind the Steele dossier will feature Stephanopoulos' interview with Christopher Steele. uh, Monday, October 18th. Is he going to ask him any real questions? Is he going to make him seem to be a, a James Bond revisited? 
Now, meanwhile, uh, the second one will be the informant. Fear and Faith in the Heartland will feature a look at the FBI's thwarting of a homegrown terrorist attack. I'm sure it'll be something to do with white supremacy. It'll start streaming on Hulu on November 1st. What are the chances this is a real look at Christopher Steele? No, this, it's going to be it's going to be a public. But you realize it, it's going to there's no upside for him. Who advised him on this? Unless he's totally oblivious to what Christopher Steele actually did. They know they just they, they're just not going to do it to make to, to make anything that would look good on behalf of uh, Trump. All right, next. No more martinis for Her Majesty. The Queen is ordered to quit drinking by royal doctors to make sure she is fit and healthy as possible ahead of her autumn schedule. Now you quit drinking at 95? How much was she drinking? The Queen has has been told to give up her evening drink, which is usually a martini. It's not really a big deal for her. She is not a big drinker, but it seems a trifle unfair at this age to shut her down. At 95, what else are they, is she going to change to accommodate? She's 95 years old. She, she should have quit a long lot. time ago if she cared about her son. That's not what a martini sounds like. What are you talking about? I mean, I know you don't drink martinis, Eric, but that does not. That's a beer. Do you only have one pour? That's all you have? <laughs> you like beer? I like beer. <laughs> Next. Uh, I don't want to do this one. Uh, Next. Did humans start smoking more than 9,000 years ago? The practice of smoking dates 12,300, more 9,000 years. This is according to a study by the Far Western Anthropological uh, Research Group. It says this points to the first humans in the American using tobacco to wind down after a hard day of chasing mammoths. Scientists, by the way, you should be able, you should not be chasing mammoths. Well, that, that mammoths would mean they have to run from you. Mammoths will run from you. I mean, this is, this is hard work, I'm sure, a long time the, ago. Is the only difference between a mammoth and an elephant... Curly uh, tusks. Well, and, and, oh, hair, and hairier, too. Well, yeah. They, they have, have a lot more hair. Right. Um, elephants, no hair. They have. It's just very fine. And There's no hair on elephants. Well, in comparison, yes. It's like they're nude. It's amazing. You would think that if you evolve a species, you would add hair, not subtract. It's like the Earth. Charles Darwin would say the mammoth was perfect if we could just make the, the tusks shorter and take the hair off. It's kind of an interesting thing that only I think about. Next, the Buccaneers pull out John Gruden from the ring of honor already. You know, we won a Super Bowl. Quote, while we acknowledge John Gruden's contributions on the field, his actions go against the core values of an organization. Gruden coached the Bucs from 2002 to 2008, winning that Super Bowl. Then he went back to the Raiders after that. Gruden is also being removed from Madison 22 after the email scandal. EA Sports put out a statement on that. Uh, it's unbelievable that they have a scandal about the Redskins because of their terrible work environment, and they get a guy that was working at ESPN, and the word is now Dan Abrams is doing a series of interviews, and he got the reporter to one of these reporters to say that they believe this story was dropped by the NFL. Yeah, they said there's no way this leaks without the NFL wanting to get it out there because they had a, a vendetta probably or a, a they, they didn't like, Yeah, they didn't like Gruden. He said he was a lot of his uh, critiques. Obviously, in there, he said some brutal things about the commissioner. Yeah, it's not just. But is this you can't? But the problem is with the NFL. There's 650,000 emails. Now the, the the cheerleaders and those people making the accusations go. We want all the emails out. He is not the guy we were looking at, even though those emails are terrible. Next, yeah. Next, having a deep conversation with strangers can improve your well-being. I've always thought that walking up to somebody you've never met and just starting opening up. That evidently is one of the healthiest things you can do, according to the Chicago Booth School of Business. 
This according to their research. Quote, connecting with others in a meaningful way tends to make people happier, and yet people also seem reluctant to engage in deeper and more meaningful conversation. If you want to be happy, talk to a stranger who might be a serial killer. So if I actually run into you outside of work on the street and no, I ignore I you, there's a reason why I'm me. ignoring you. I'm just going to talk walking. to strangers instead. Right. Yeah. Go walk past me. Yes. So I won't even make eye contact. And just hope it's not an episode of Impractical Jokers. Because <laughs> yes. then it would be really embarrassing and you would definitely make the cut. But you'd have to sign off the release after that. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to watch me weekend uh, on the weekend with Janine Pirro. And today on The Five and on Larry Kudlow at four. Besides that, it's going to be an easy afternoon. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.